Well, we're back in Proverbs again. We, we finished up our series on local church leadership and um, allow us time to just kind of step away from Proverbs. We had covered exhaustively those first nine chapters, and it gave me some time to think about how I wanted to deal with the rest of our time in Proverbs, because I'm not going to preach through every single pithy statement from chapters 10 through 31. Praise God for that, right? And so what I decided to do is just kind of hit on some major themes, just kind of do a broad overview of major themes to help us to understand how do we take those individual Proverbs, how do we understand them in light of each other and apply them to our lives. And so I'm going to do six more sermons on the book of Proverbs to just kind of cover some of these bigger themes or more significant themes, not that and we won't be able to cover all of them. Um, but that's what we'll do with our time. And so this morning, I want to deal with the theme of friendship. How does Proverbs give us wisdom for friendship? According to the 2014 census, there are just over 319 million people who live in the United States. And according to a recent statistics poll, as of the end of the first quarter, as the end of April 2015, of those 319 people that live in the United States, apparently 210 million of them are active monthly Facebook users. That's 66% of the U.S. population is now on Facebook. And the average monthly U.S. resident Facebook user has an average of 350 friends. Now that is, is not quite accurate. You see, those who are 65 and older have an average of 102 friends. Those between the ages of 55 and 64, they have something like 129 friends on average. Those between the ages of, of 45 and 54 have an average of 220. Those in my bracket, 35 to 44, have 277, so I'm really good there. Um, those between the ages of 25 and 34 have an average of 360 friends. However, those who are between the ages of 18 and 24, they have an average of 649 Facebook friends. And even those who are between the ages of 12 and 17 have an average of 521 Facebook friends. So according to those statistics, we are very, very friendly I mean, look at that, especially all those young people. I mean, look at all the friends that we have. That is, if your standard of friendship is a Facebook friend. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't even met some of my Facebook friends. And I, I remember one time I have a Facebook friend. She was actually a friend from high school. I took, had classes with her. We spoke often. I, mean, I went to a small school, so you knew everybody, right? Uh, so... I had this Facebook friend that she would, she would like some of my pictures. She would comment on some of my posts. And a couple of years ago, I went home, went to a restaurant with my entire family. And, and you know everybody, right? And so um, went to this restaurant with my family and I saw her and I looked her straight in the eye and I smiled at her and I said hello to her by name. And she acted like she didn't even know me. And then ironically, a couple of days later, she was back to liking and commenting on my posts. Now, I looked like my profile pictures, not like I threw anybody off, right? Just like, oh, ooh, you know? Uh, or, and I had my family with me as just backup in that as well. But so, so I don't know what happened there. Maybe she was shy. 
Maybe she didn't have her contact lenses in so she couldn't tell who I was. Maybe I I caught her in the middle of something that she found embarrassing. I, I don't really know. But it's okay, though, because we're still friends on Facebook. Is that what it means to be a friend? Is that what it means to have friends? To accumulate as many people as possible, to scroll through their posts anonymously and occasionally like or comment on what you see, but not even being able to look that person in the eye. We have all of these friends through social media. But if you look at our culture, we are growing more and more and more and more unfriendly. We have a lot of acquaintances, but very few, if any, true friends. And not only do we lack close friendships, if we're honest with ourselves, we are often really poor friends to other people. Well, friends, God cares about our friendships. It's because it was God's idea. Friendship flows out of who God is. I don't know if you realize this or not, but but the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, have dwelled eternally together in perfect union, perfect fellowship, in perfect love, and in perfect friendship. And God made us, mankind, with this built-in need for community. We learn of ourselves in Genesis 1 and 2 that it was not good that man should be alone. And so God made us that way, not because God was lonely or God needed a friend. God had to, to make us because he was all by himself and lonesome. But he made us for community to reflect his very nature as a God of loving fellowship. That's simply who he is. Mankind was meant to live in fellowship with each other as they live in friendship with God. It was God who made Adam and made him the way that he did. It was God who made Adam a companion that was fit for him. It was God who spoke to Adam who communicated, who related to Adam and told Adam, this is what it means to live well in the world that I have created for you to live in. It was God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And it was God who made a way for their friendship to be restored. Even when Adam and Eve rebelled against him, even when they sabotaged their relationship with God and with each other. God made a way for those relationships to be restored. And he proved it. Even though he is the holy and perfect God of the universe that can have nothing to do with sin, and even though they rebelled and rejected him, he was committed to his relationship with his people. Not because he needed them, but simply because that's who he is by nature and because of how much we need him. You know, so often we forget that one of the many ways that we are to understand God is as friend. 
We steer away from this, and I, I think we steer away from it for fear of being man-centered because that seems so felt-needish, right? It's just all about me. I, I need God to be my friend. Or, or we don't want to be flippant towards God. We don't want to disregard his transcendence, his otherness from us. Or we don't want to make a parody of Jesus and turn him into a buddy Jesus. Or let's face it, Michael W. Smith and Sunshine kind of ruined it for us. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home and YouTube Michael W. Smith, Friends are Friends Forever, and Sunshine, that is S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E, Jesus is a friend of mine. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Glad I could clear that up for you, Aaron. (laughs) But nevertheless, we were meant to live in communion with God as our friend. Throughout the Bible, we see friendship with God. Adam, Enoch, and Noah, they walked with God. And Israel was called to do the same. God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend in Exodus 33. Job spoke of his friendship with God in Job 29 verse 4. In Psalm 25 verse 14, it says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, And he makes known his covenant to them. And so true friendship is covenantal. There's a commitment. God calls Abraham his friend in Isaiah 41 verse 8. Jesus called his disciples friends on many occasions. None so clearly as John chapter 15. But you know who else Jesus called friend? His captors in Matthew 26. Christ died for sin and he rose again so that we might be reconciled to God and live lives in fellowship with God, the God of the universe. As we see Jesus face to face, we live as friends with him forever. And for those who are in Christ, that is the true church of God, we are to strive to live together as friends. In 3 John The apostle calls the church and he lives in fellowship with the church as friends. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. See, friends talk face to face. They walk with each other. He continues in verse 15, peace be to you, the friends. And he's speaking about the church. He's speaking about all those who are in Christ. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. So you see, you cannot understand God. You cannot understand Christ. And you cannot understand the church Apart from greeting one another, loving one another, speaking face-to-face, walking together in fellowship. You don't get God. You don't get Christ. And you don't get the church if you do not see them as friends. And conversely, we cannot understand true friendship, at least not the depth of friendship that God has intended for us, without understanding Christ and the church. 
Now, fortunately for us, Proverbs has a lot to teach us about friendship. In fact, the entire book of Proverbs, everything from the foolishness of of putting up security for your neighbor all the way down to fleeing from the forbidden woman and delighting in the wife of your youth is immediately directly applicable to friendship. And so let's turn our Bibles to Proverbs chapter one. We're just gonna read through the whole book of Proverbs this morning. I'm kidding. But it, it was a lot. I, I really had my work cut out for me this week. But you know, as I began to boil this down, as I began to synthesize all that was being said through the book of Proverbs, I was able to narrow it down in one way or another to four characteristics of a true friend. And do you know what I saw through my study of friendship in Proverbs? True friends show Jesus. That's it. True friends show Jesus. They display Jesus. They reflect Jesus. They speak of and for Jesus. They represent Jesus to us. They direct us towards Jesus. True friends show Jesus. And so here's what I found. Four characteristics of true friends, and these four characteristics show Jesus. The first one, true friends are righteous. Over and over and over and over and over again, Proverbs implores us to avoid the way of the wicked and to walk in the paths of the righteous. Now, why? Because what you walk with will influence you in one way or another. If you walk in the way of the wicked, guess what will happen? You will become wicked. And the result of that is eternal condemnation and separation from God for all eternity. You don't want that. And and not to mention the fact that though the wicked promise certain things, they cannot fulfill what they've promised. They can't give you what they say they're going to give you. However, if you keep to the paths of the righteous, then you too will learn the will of God. What is good, what is right, What is true, you will grow in your delight for this righteousness and you will commit yourself to the will of God. You will desire to do what is good and right and true. That which leads to eternal blessing and eternal life. That which is the life that we were always intended and created by God to live. Life that is lived well. And so, Proverbs warns us in passages like chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Why? Well, because sin will consume your life. Right? Greed for unjust gain will take away the life of its possessor. Or chapter 3, verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For a devious person is an abomination. He's an abhorrence. He's a disgrace to the Lord. This is why we're not to be captured by the beauty or eyelashes of the forbidden woman that we saw in chapter 6 and 7 and to stay far, far away from her house because she might promise you a lot. She might be so tempting, so enticing. She will draw you in with all of these promises of of pleasure, but guess what? It's going to lead only to your ruin. We are to distance ourselves from fools, from drunkards, from the sexually immoral, from sluggards, lest we too become one. 
Proverbs 16, verse 29 says, A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. We must especially beware of the arrogant and hard-hearted scoffer. Proverbs doesn't mince words about this guy. Proverbs 22, verse 10 says, Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. A few verses later, Proverbs 22, verse 24 adds, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. But why? I mean, why why does God concern himself about the type of friends that we have? Well, because you become what you behold. You become like your friends. You cannot simply go through life remaining neutral as if you're not influenced by the people that you're around. You will be influenced by what you call friend. And we were made first and foremost for friendship with God. James 4.4 puts it this way, you adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's hatred with God. Whoever, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He calls them an adulterous people for the sheer fact that we were all created to image God. We were made to reflect the very nature of the God who made us, the God who sustains us, the God who by all rights owns us. But this God has also covenanted himself to us. And just like in marriage, God has has made this promise to us. He loves us. And when we pursue friendship, when we decide to behold or to walk with anything else before God, we in effect commit adultery. And because God is always right, and because God is always true, in choosing to put anything before God, We make ourselves his enemy. We gladly put that title upon ourselves. We become enemies of God. And so just just to get real practical for a moment here. If the closest people that you walk with in life live as enemies of God, you will become like them and you will be counted among them. Now, this doesn't mean that you should cut off association, any association with those who are friends with the world, those who who hate God, those who are unbelievers, those who who just are are really worldly and, and try to live in some monastery or some cloister to just kind of wall ourselves off from everyone else around us because sin is still in our hearts. So guess what? You're not gonna escape sin, right? But what this is saying to us is be very, very aware of who influences you. Who do you allow to speak into your life? Whose path do you walk on? See, we are to avoid the way of the wicked, but positively, Proverbs calls us to keep to the paths of the righteous. Now, righteousness is a big deal in Proverbs. It comes up 87 times in the book of Proverbs. 
We are to pursue righteousness and we are to surround ourselves with friends who long to do the same thing. Why? Well, because Proverbs 12 verse 26 says, the one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them all astray. True friends are righteous. Now, when Proverbs speaks of righteousness, it's speaking of those who love God and who long to do his will. They love what is good and what is right and what is true, and they desire to live that out in their lives. They want to live the lives that God has created them to live, lives of friendship with God and friendship with each other as God has intended, as God has purposed. Now, this doesn't mean that they are sinless. It doesn't mean that they are trying to give the impression that they are sinless, but that their true heart's desire, that their deepest longing is to follow Christ, to see him and to know him and to be like him. Friendship with Christ is the most important relationship that they have. You see, no one is sinless. No one is righteous in in that sense. No, not one. No one except for Christ. Christ lived a perfect life. He alone lived a life without sin, the life that you and I could never live. He always did what is right. He perfectly obeyed the will of his Father in everything. He alone is righteous. He died for sin and he rose to new life again so that all who would turn away from their sin and trust in him for salvation might be called his friend. And do you know what our friend Jesus does for us? He gives us his righteousness. In effect, what Jesus does is he takes the righteous shirt off of his own back and he clothes us in it so that we might be covered in his righteousness and we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might grow so that he might lead us in all righteousness and so the solution ultimately for us in finding true and righteous friends and for us to be true and righteous friends is not to compare ourselves to other people Well, I'm a little more righteous than this person. I'm a little bit more righteous than that person, that person over there. So I must be righteous. You should want to be my friend. Find me on Facebook. The solution is not then to clamor, to try to get your life together, to make it appear like you are more righteous than you really are. And the goal is not to just surround yourself with people who look like they're righteous on the outside, but on the inside, they're dead men's bones. The solution is to look upon the righteousness of Christ and to find him altogether lovely and to surround yourself with people who long to do the same. To love Jesus, to know him, to want to be like him, to strive to follow after him. If you do that, You will find righteous friends and you will be a righteous friend. And so that's the first characteristic of a true friend from Proverbs. True friends are righteous. Second, true friends are sacrificial. 
We live in a dog-eat-dog world where people are selfish, they are self-seeking, they are greedy, they exploit even their relationships as a means of gain. We jockey for position, we try the best of our abilities to get ourselves into the right crowd, we bully and put other people down in order to exalt ourselves, to feel better about who we are, we manipulate, we connive, we exaggerate, we cheat, we steal. A violent man maims and destroys as a means of easy gain. The angry man uses his emotions as a means to control. The sexually immoral uses the one that they even profess to love as a means to indulge in their own selfish pleasure. And hey, it's fine as long as it's consensual. By and large, our culture gives this me-centered friendship a stamp of approval, using your friends as a means of some sort of personal gain. I just wonder, have you seen that tendency in those whom you would call friends? Have you seen that tendency in yourself? Do you make your friendships about you? Proverbs teaches us That true friends aren't selfish or greedy. True friends are sacrificial. They are generous and kind. They graciously put others ahead of themselves. According to Proverbs 3, verses 27 through 30, true friends do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in their power to do it. They don't say to their neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when they have it with them. They do not plan evil against their neighbor who dwells trustingly beside them. They do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done them no harm. True friends are generous with the resources that God has given them. Now, they don't do foolish things or they're not supposed to do foolish things like putting up security for their neighbor if they can't completely pay the debt. We learned a lot about that in Proverbs chapter 6. But yet they also see that wealth as a gift from God to be used for him, no matter how little or how much to bless other people. And so Proverbs 14.21 says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. In chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. And you might be looking at it like, of course they're friends with him. Look, they're just kind of around, just kind of living off of all of his wealth, and he's giving them gifts. Or are you trying to tell me that you're supposed to buy your friends off? Well, No. I mean, I think the Proverbs might warn us about just false friendships that come from being wealthy, but I think what he's getting at more is about generosity and what generosity does. They're not simply there because they get, they're there, they seek favor of a generous man, they're friends to the one who gives gifts because the true nature of his heart is revealed in his generosity. Through his giving, he shows himself to be a true friend. Friends would rather suffer wrong or be defrauded than to wrong or defraud their brother. They would willingly sacrifice themselves if it would truly provide for the needs of those whom they hold most dear, even laying down their lives for the sake of them. True friends are even considerate 
of the preferences of their friends. Proverbs 25 verse 17 says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Now that is not an excuse for all you introverts out there to say, look, I don't need to have fellowship with people because I don't, I don't want them to hate me. That's not the point, right? The point is don't wear out your welcome, right? Or as Ben Franklin so eloquently put it, guests and fish stink after three days. <laughs> True friends put the interests of others before their own desires. They consider others as more high, as, as more honored, as more preferable than themselves. And even when they're being blessed by others, they seek to be a blessing. Your know, Proverbs goes on and on and on and on about generosity and kindness and graciousness and sacrifice of a true friend. But basically, it all boils down to this. True friends have the heart and attitude of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, like Christ, they give so that others might gain. Do you see that same willingness to sacrifice in those whom you call friends? Can they see that same willingness in you? Do they see a generous heart? Everything that we have is from God. And everything that we have gained is from Christ. And though our earthly means might be limited, our eternal inheritance in Christ is inexhaustible. And when we can learn to go through life drawing from that account, that inexhaustible heavenly account that we now have in Christ, we can sacrifice even our lives like our true friend Jesus because we know that that kind of sacrificial friendship is not loss, but is an opportunity for immeasurable gain. And so true friends are sacrificial. That's point number two. Not only are true friends righteous, true friends are sacrificial. A third characteristic of a true friend from Proverbs, true friends give life with their words. Jesus told us that it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. What you love, what you live for, the way you think, the way you feel is revealed in your words, and that's true of your friends, and that is true of yourself. And much of our friendship has to do with our communication, with our words, and how we use them either for or against one another. And I'm amazed by how often I see people who call themselves friends, but they actually live as frenemies. Are you guys familiar with this word? It's kind of a new chic word, right? Frenemies. Are you friends, but you're kind of always at one another? Always just sort of competing and arguing and complaining and comparing. There's gossip and slander and putting one another down, lying to each other, right? They're criticizing and condemning one another. I mean, one minute they're hugging one another all lovey-dovey, and the next minute they can't stand one another. I don't, I don't get it. 
Actually, I do. Because this is far too common even in the church. We're fighting and animosity, bitterness, division, dissension. We're simply destroying one another with whispers abound. As friends, what we can say can lead either to life or to death. Proverbs 11 verse 9 says, With his mouth, the godless man, this is not the man that would say there is no God, but the man who lives as if there's no God. The godless man would destroy his neighbor. It's only by by knowledge that the righteous are delivered. In verse 12, it says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Proverbs 16, verse 28, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. In our foolishness, we get defensive. We attack those who are closest to us. Maybe we lie or we exaggerate to sort of build ourselves up in the eyes of others. But Proverbs 25 verse 18 says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor, even in little things, just like making yourself look a little bit better than your neighbor, right? Is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Dishonest words kill relationships. We use our words to shame others. We tell and keep secrets. Proverbs 26 verses 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Our words lead to death even when we flatter. I'm amazed, especially among young people, of this, of this tendency I see to flatter one another, to falsely build each other up with their words, to make that person feel so good about themselves. But it's not honest or sincere. It's, this, it's centered in this self-esteem and fear of man. And so what we do is we sort of pet one another and coddle each other with our words that, in a way that glorifies man but not God. Proverbs 29 verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Or as the Greeks put it, the opposite of a friend is not an enemy, but a flatterer. You see, someone who falsely puffs you up with their words can just as easily use them to burst your bubble. And all of that godless speech leads to death and to destruction. But a true friend gives life with their words. Now, true friends are honest. True friends speak the truth in love. True friends, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupting talk come out of their mouths, but only as such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Their desire with their words is not to flatter you, but is to build you up in Christ. Christ is at the center 
of all that's being said. They know when to speak and they know when to be silent. And when they speak, they seek to speak tactfully, with honor, with humility, with grace, with gentleness, with thanksgiving, and with understanding. True friends love wisdom and they love to offer wise counsel. Not so that they can be seen as wise in the eyes of other people, but because they fear the Lord and they deeply love their friends and they earnestly want to see their friends choose the wisdom of God over the wisdom of the world. As Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Honesty, grace, love, and wise counsel are essential components of life-giving speech of a true friend. But do you know what else is? Rebuke. You see, we're all sinners. And it's all too easy for us to be blinded by our sin. To go through life just thinking we're fine. Thinking we're okay thinking we've got it well enough together. But we are deceiving ourselves. And a loving friend will come in and help us to see the, the deception. There have been numerous occasions where we've seen our friends walking in the way of sin and folly. And it breaks our hearts to see them giving themselves over to that which leads only to futility and death. And as their friends in love, we must go to them and help them to the best of our ability, to see the dangers of their sin. And it's hard sometimes for us to know how to do that, right? I mean, rebuke, that word seems so harsh. Let me just clarify here. A rebuke is not a legal condemnation. You are not passing judgment upon another person. It's not imposing your self-righteous opinions and inserting that into the conversation, whether they want it or not. It's not casting blame. It's not finding fault. It's not unduly criticizing or enacting some form of punishment. It is not driven by emotion, but is driven by grace. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, the goal of a rebuke is to see your brother restored, and the church to remain pure. It's done in gentleness and in humility, with a willingness to share in their burdens, to enter in and walk with them in that and to love them in such a way as to fulfill the law of Christ. But so often what we do is we treat rebuke like a slap to the face and then we walk away. That is godless, self-righteous condemnation. Proverbs 27 verses five and six says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
and their rebuke and love are synonyms. They're synonymous. The question is, will you love them openly by rebuking them or will you keep your love for them hidden? It goes on to say, faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profusive are the kisses of the enemy. The enemy of your soul is not the one who rebukes you, but the one who flatters you, the one who showers you with kisses, the one who will only tell you what you want to hear. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you, if your friends are are truly going to speak the truth in love to you, what that means is that inevitably they will tell you things that you will not want to hear. If they love you, they will gently and graciously but honestly Bring the word of God to bear upon your soul, a soul that is still marred and stained by sin. And the result of that can be hurtful. It can be offensive. But friends, keep this in mind. Jesus loved all people well. Jesus always spoke the truth in love. When he said things to people, some people repented and believed. They were humbled and they followed after Christ. But other people were hurt and offended by what Jesus said. And you know what they did? They killed him. But you know, if they are your true friends, they're not doing it to offend you. If they're your true friends, the reality is it it hurts them as much as it hurts you. But they're seeking to be faithful. Faithful to God and faithful to you. And though it hurts, they are not trying to harm you, but to heal you the way a surgeon has to hurt in order to remove cancer so that you might be healed. You see, true friends are physicians for one another's souls. Or as the well-known Proverbs puts it, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You know, if you are never rebuked by those whom you call friends, either you are not being honest with them or they are not being honest with you. And that's the reality. Perhaps you've pridefully put yourself in a position where you are really unwilling to receive accountability or you've surrounded yourself with people who fear man more than they fear God. But let me just tell you something. That is far more harmful than any wound that you would ever receive from a friend. Because you know what that friend is going to do? That friend is going to walk with you through all of the recovery and all of the restoration and be there when you are completely healed and celebrate with you. You need that kind of accountability to grow in the wisdom of Christ. Now, perhaps you're here and you realize, you know what, I I need to be a better friend. (laughs) I need to be willing to rebuke and to speak the truth in love, but I'm afraid of what might happen to this relationship if, if I'm honest. 
Well, here are a couple of Proverbs to encourage you. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward, and this word afterward is undefined. This could be years. This could be decades. This could be until you see Jesus face to face. But whoever rebukes a man afterward will find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. And even if they never receive it, they are unwilling to receive the rebuke. If you are faithful, you will have favor with God. Here's another, Proverbs 22, verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. That's been my favorite one to meditate over this week. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Now, I can't help but read that typologically because we know from the rest of Scripture that those who love purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king Jesus as their friend. And do you not want that? I want that. Christ always spoke the truth in love that leads others to life. In fact, he is the very embodiment of God's word, God's way, and God's wisdom of truth, love, and life. He loved, in his words, he loved people well, all people well, even those who hated him, even those who crucified them. Remember one of his last words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But you all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As those who are friends with the king, we too are called to show him with our words that others might be led to life, even if they refuse to accept it. And we do that because Christ gave life with his words. And so, true friends are righteous. True friends are sacrificial. True friends give life with their words. And finally, true friends love at all times. Friendship in the world is marked by selfishness, flakiness, betrayal. There's anger, wrath, bitterness, gossip, slander, malice, impatience, and unforgiveness. When times get hard, friends bail. When there's disagreement, they write people off. By and large, there's a failure to commit to each other. And when a commitment has been made, it is far too easy for that covenant to be forsaken. Whereas Proverbs 21 verse 10 puts it, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. True friends, on the other hand, are loyal. True friends stick with you no matter what, even in the midst of disagreement and conflict. True friends forgive 
and they do not hold the past against you. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. He doesn't bring it up anymore. He's willing to let go of past hurts and this whole I told you so mentality. In love, he's willing to absorb the cost of sin because the person is more valuable to me than my pride. I love that person more than I love being right. So I'm willing to let it go. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Regardless of the sin or the situation, regardless of the temptation or the troubles, a true friend will not abandon you. They will not leave you nor forsake you. They will walk with you regardless of whatever trials fall. However much that affects them, they are committed to you for the long haul. And true friends like that can't be counted in the hundreds, but on one hand. Now, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are called to love all Christians everywhere. We are especially called to love our local church, those who we have covenanted towards. But even in a local church the size of Redeemer, we can't be all hold hands, buddy-buddy with everyone in the church, no matter how much we would like for that to be the case. And Proverbs even speaks to that. Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So even there, there's a comparison, right? Though we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we should have those kinds of friends within the church, right? We should love everybody well and be committed to one another, sacrifice greatly for each other. But there should be some that we're just really, really living life together with. Like somebody in your community group or your life transformation group, the elders, I mean, ought to be able to look at their relationship that way. Those who stick close to one another and fight hard for one another's souls. Do you have that kind of person in the church? But again, thinking typologically, no matter how close our friends are to us, they are sinners and they will fail us. They're not going to be perfect. We're going to have to extend grace. But there is one who has stuck closer than a brother. There is one who has shown infinite mercy. There is one who not only has never committed an offense, but one who actually covers all of our offenses. There is one who loves at all times and one who was born for all of our adversities. And his name is Jesus, our truest friend. And he has shown his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of his great love given freely for us, Christ calls us to imitate his friendship to us. He says, this is my commandment 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. Do you have any idea of how loved you are by Christ? Do you, can you fathom that? Really? I mean, honestly, do you get that this morning? Christ loves you, and he has loved you perfectly. And if you're struggling to know whether or not that's true, just look at the fact that Christ laid down his life for you. He has proven it in his death and resurrection so that you might be called his friend both now and forever. And you know, it's out of that love, that righteous, sacrificial, life-giving, forever love that we can be true friends. And as true friends who daily live out of that love that we have received in Christ, guess what can happen? We can show Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the love of Christ. God, I pray that we would be humbled when we think upon his perfect character, his uh, immeasurable greatness, the fact that he owns everything, but yet he humbled himself even to the point of death by dying on a cross. That he loves so completely because that's just who he is. It's not hindered or affected even by our sin. But that he delights to call us friend and he enables us to live as friends. And God, I pray that we would truly treasure our friendship with Christ, not in a cavalier, me-centered sort of attitude, look at me, I'm a friend of Jesus, but, but that we would truly delight in the immeasurable greatness of your love for us in Christ Jesus. And that as we desire to live in that, we grow in righteousness, we in generosity, we sacrifice ourselves. We, we speak words of grace that give life to those who hear and we love at all times because we're not looking to each other and setting a standard of judgment that people must meet, but that we're happy to give ourselves away because Christ gave himself for us. It's his love that controls us. God, I thank you for that love. I pray that we would receive it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.